listening to the sermon audio from Renaissance Church. We pray that this message equips you to be formed into the image of Christ as you grow in your love of God, and it fuels you to love your neighbor as yourself. We are convinced that while this sermon audio is beneficial, this should only be supplemental and not replace local church involvement, the pastor God has put over your life, or your commitment to gather in person with other believers to make more disciples for the fame of Jesus. Peace be with you. Now, as we take a closer look at this prayer, what is commonly known as the Lord's Prayer, we we cannot put it into a nice little tidy Ziploc baggie, right? We we tend to do that with our favorite verses. Some of you might call it life verses, where you have this favorite verse, and it exists in isolation, absent of the entire book that is written in. Because this, we have to remember that this prayer, it exists within an entire sermon, And that entire sermon exists within an entire gospel according to Matthew, who happens to be a tax collector. And that entire gospel, you can think of it as a large mountain that is in the range of multiple mountains, 66 mountains, that makes up the the entirety of our Bible. This prayer exists, you can think of it more of like as a foothill in the scope of what is the whole mountain range of all of Scripture. And as we hear this prayer, as we ascend this little foothill with Jesus, as we we hear him speaking to us, we recall some similar words that he might have spoken earlier in his sermon. We read these words from the Beatitudes. He says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. That when we hear the words, forgive us our debts as we forgive others, we might be reminded of this concept of peacemaking. Remember, peacemaking is not the same as peacekeeping. Peacekeeping ignores wrongs that have been done, whether it's by you or somebody else. Peacekeeping refuses to have difficult conversations with one another. We would say peacekeeping is nothing else than peace faking. But peacemaking is committed to having difficult conversations. It's committed to confrontation. It's committed to clarification. It's committed to confession. And it's committed to reconciliation. And in order for reconciliation to happen, there can't just be clarification and confrontation and confession. There has to be forgiveness. That's what it means to make peace with one another, is to forgive. See, many of us right now are not experiencing peace within our relationships. It's because we're missing a key ingredient to them. We're not experiencing peace in our marriages. We're not experiencing peace in the workplace or peace with our friendships, peace with our our kids, because we're forgetting one key ingredient. Many of your relationships taste oversalted right now, and they do not taste savory. It's because we've gone off recipe. 
the recipe for peace, for unity within a community, it's essential that we have this one ingredient. And it's this, forgiveness. Forgiveness. You see, implicit in this prayer, forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors, is this statement that forgiven people forgive people. Forgiven people forgive people. Or maybe if, you, if I put it in the form of a question, how can we expect to receive forgiveness from God without extending forgiveness to others? So what Jesus will walk us through in this prayer are, are two realities that we have to acknowledge. First, we have to acknowledge our debts. It's the first point. Our debts. If you're taking notes, that's the first point. And then we go to acknowledge our debtors. Second point, our debtors. So first, our debts. Second, our debtors. Why? So that we can see that it is forgiven people who forgive people. Well, church, you ready to dive in? First point, our debts. Look at this first part of the prayer. He says, and forgive us our debts. I love this illustration that Jesus gives for sins. He says our sins are like debts. Now, what is a debt? A debt is a failure to pay something. Many of you have credit card debts. I won't make you raise your hands right now for, for sake of not shaming you. Many of you have college loan debt right now that might be a couple days old or several decades old. And what does debt do? It looms large over us. It's a weight on our shoulders. And we get this friendly reminder at least once a month, sometimes quarterly, this friendly reminder in the mail saying, you have this much to pay this month, but you still have this much left. And what do you have to do in order to pay that debt off? You have to work. You have to work to pay that job off. Work hours that turn into days, that turn into weeks, that turn into months, that turn into years, till finally you get enough money. You spent enough money to pay off this debt. Now, this is what rabbinic thought was when it came to sins. That the more sin that you have, it, it gives you a demerit against God. It demerits your relationship with God. And the way to earn your way back to God is you have to merit God's favor. You have to work your way back to God. So if you want to get rid of your debt before God, get to work. See, religion says you have to work to pay off your debt to God. But the gospel of Jesus Christ says, I have come to do the work, because you cannot pay off that debt that you owe to God. The work has been done. It has been completed in Jesus Christ. You see, forgiveness, we can't miss this here, forgiveness requires work. And thanks be to God, it's not my work. It's Jesus' work in his perfect life, his perfect death, and his resurrection that gives us the forgiveness of sins. Amen? That's why we sing, oh, praise the one who paid my debt 
and raise this life up from the debt. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin has left a crimson stain. And he's what? He's washed it white as snow. And this, it's applied to us. How, church? By grace, through faith alone. Our debt gets credited to Jesus. His righteousness gets credited and applied to us. And it's not based on how strong your faith is. Who has weak faith in here this morning? Yes. It does not matter how strong your faith is. It's not the amount of faith or the strength of your faith. It is in the object of your faith that you are saved. And this confession that we have of our debts, it's a twofold confession. First, that Jesus paid it all. But second, we have to acknowledge that we are the one who acquired the debt. We have to admit that it's our debt that he took on. Now this, pay attention here. This is both individual sin and corporate sin. Individual sin and corporate sin. Notice the words in Jesus' prayer. It says, forgive us our sin. It doesn't say me or my. It says our sin. Now, this is making a lot of you squirm in here who regularly breathe the air of expressive individualism. Right? We, we Americans, we love taking the credit for good things. We're very willing to take the credit of Jesus' righteousness applied to the whole church community. We're very willing to do that. But what we're not willing to do is take the credit for another's wrongs, even though that's at the beginning of our story. How are we born into sin? It's because of one man's sin. Our first father, Adam. It's because of him we now all bear the guilt of our sinfulness. It's what we call original sin. Now you might be saying corporate sin. Does that mean that I'm guilty for the sin of another? Does that mean that I'm guilty for something that I did not directly participate in? Well, instead of letting me answer that question, I'm going to let Scripture answer that question. Let me, let me just point to you a few, several dozen examples that we find in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. I've already given you one example, Adamson. Do you guys remember the story in Joshua 7 with Achan? Israel just got done in a difficult war, and they were not supposed to take the plunder from the land. But what does Achan do? He takes the plunder. But who gets punished? Who is seen as guilty? Look with me in chapter 7, verse 24 to 25. It says, And Joshua and all of Israel with him took Achan, doesn't have a period there, keeps going, the son of Zariah, and the silver, and the cloak, and the bar of gold, and his sons, and daughters, and his oxen, donkeys, and sheep, and his tent, and all that he had. And all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. Corporate guilt for one man's sin. 
God also, we see him doing this in 1 Samuel 15, when he condemns the nations for the sins of their forebearers. And he does it again in 2 Samuel verse, uh, chapter 21, where God told King David that all of Israel was responsible for the sin of their evil former king, Saul. You say, yeah, Rob, but that's just the Old Testament. We worship Jesus, who's in this New Testament reality. Let me just put one more before you. Look what Peter says in Acts chapter 2. To a whole crowd of Israelites who did, did not have the hammer in one hand and nails in another to crucify Jesus. But look what he says about them. It says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Read those two words with me. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Their complicity led them to be responsible. And so on the one hand, does the Bible teach an element of corporate guilt? Absolutely. But it also teaches individual guilt, individual sin. It doesn't shy away from our individual responsibility and agency. Because to ignore one corporate guilt over another individual guilt, or to emphasize one individual sin over corporate guilt, it's to minimize the complexity of our inherent sinful nature. These are not my words. These are Scripture's words. The whole of the Bible recognizes this. And we can't let our expressive individualism get in the way of our debts that need forgiven. It's both and, corporate and individual, we must confess of. And you say, okay, Rob, riddle me this. Well, then why do I need to confess sin, ask for forgiveness if Jesus paid it all? If Jesus paid for all of my sin, why do I need, keep needing to ask for forgiveness? And that's a, a great question. On one hand, we keep asking for forgiveness is because as we keep growing in our Christian faith, we do not repent less. We repent quicker because we're more aware of our sin. And when we're more aware of our sin, we need to be ready to go and pray to a God who is ready and able to immediately forgive us from our sins. And remember who Jesus is talking to here. He's talking to people who already repented. They've already turned to follow him. And he's teaching them to still pray, forgive us. And this is something that the Apostle John will continue to do in 1 John 4, 8 through 10. He says, if we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Confession 
doesn't just exist at the start of the Christian life. Confession continues throughout all of the Christian life because we recognize we, not, we are not as we should be. Does God forgive all of our sins, past, present, and future, at the cross? But here's another reason why I believe that we are already forgiven, why we can still ask for forgiveness. It's because just imagine if God would reveal to us at our conversion all of our sinfulness in one moment. It would crush us. It would crush us like it crushed Jesus on the cross, but he's gracious to us to keep slowly revealing areas in our life that still need his grace and still need his forgiveness. How merciful, how compassionate of him. This prayer shows us that this is not just a prayer for anybody. It's a prayer of a child. Who are we praying to? Our Father. And why can we pray to our Father? It's because Jesus has already paid up our debt. He's given us access to him. That before this prayer is ever about us, it's about Jesus who makes us self-made orphans, children of the living God. He adopts us. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he writes this. It is the relationship of the child to the father. In the moment we realize we have offended or grieved or sinned against the father, we confess it and ask to be forgiven. And I love this next line. And we are sure that we are forgiven. Why? Because we go and confess to a faithful God who's able to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, we pray for God to forgive us our debts so that we are able to forgive others' debts, which is the second point. Others' debts. If you're still following along here, we're in the second half of this verse now. Jesus says, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And you're like, wait a minute. Rob, you just said that the gospel of grace is not by works. This seems like this is a conditional statement. This sounds like the only way that we are forgiven is if we forgive others. Maybe. Look closely at the words. It does not say forgive us our debts because we have forgiven our debtors. It does not say forgive us our debts on the grounds that we have been great forgivers of those who have sinned against us. It says even as, even as I've forgiven others. Remember, these are folks who have already said, I'm going to follow Jesus. They have repented. What does repented mean? It means to turn towards Jesus. It says, I'm not going to turn towards myself to get me out of this state. I'm not going to turn towards works to make God forgive me. I'm going to turn towards Jesus, run after him. It's not by my work. It's by Jesus' work. And I'm going to turn to the one who can do this for me, what I cannot do for myself, provide forgiveness. You see, a forgiving heart, pay attention to this, a forgiving heart is not a prereq for God to forgive you. A forgiving heart is the result 
of one that has already been forgiven. Forgiveness is not a prereq in order for God to forgive you. But it is the posture of someone who has already been forgiven. See, what's implied in this is that your ability to forgive others reveals how much you are in need of your own forgiveness. That forgiven people forgive people. Now, what's in mind here as we pray this prayer together is the communal prayer, our Father. It's that we would be confessing sin regularly to one another. So I wonder, when someone confesses, when someone confesses to you that they have wronged you and sinned against you, what is your response? What is your posture towards them? Some of you um, might say, oh, oh, you know what, it, it's, it's okay. It's actually not okay. Sin is never okay. To say it's okay in response to a confession is to minimize the hurt, it's to minimize the wrong, and it's to minimize the offense. We don't offer its okayness. That doesn't produce peace in relationships. We offer forgiveness. We offer forgiveness to those who have sinned sins of commission and sinned sins of omission against us. Now, what's the difference between the two? We have these definitions up here right now. The sin of commission... This is what we do that's in thought, word, and deed that is commanded not to do. So when it says don't gossip about another, and you choose to gossip, that is a sin of commission. It's when we do that which is commanded not to do. But then there's the sin of omission. It's when we refuse to do in thought, word, and deed that is commanded to do. Live at peace with one another. And you refuse to do that because all you want to be is divisive. What happens when someone commits a sin of commission or omission? How do we respond? How do we respond to someone who has wronged you, who has hurt you, shamed you, or slandered you? Do you forgive them? See, Paul Tripp, in an article that I read by him, he says that this prayer reminds us daily that we are to show grace to others in the same way that God shows grace to us. This prayer reminds us that we are rooted in the reality that God forgives us not because of who we are or what we do, but solely because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And if God only requires us to ask forgiveness, why do we require more from others? See, it's a contradiction to seek forgiveness for ourselves and not extend forgiveness to others. It is a contradiction to celebrate God's lavish grace in our life and refuse to extend it to others. It is a contradiction to say that my only hope in this life and the next life is the forgiveness that is offered to me in Christ Jesus, and yet 
I'm not willing to extend forgiveness to others who have wronged me, hurt me, caused me turmoil in my life. Chrysostom, a early church father, he writes this in the 300s. He says, to ask forgiveness from God as a great benefit and to deny the same to others is to mock God. We make a mockery of God. And we say we are grateful for forgiveness and yet we're not able to extend it to others. Let's go back to those college loans. Now, don't have to raise your hands. How many of y'all still have college debt that you're working to pay off? Maybe you can just tell me with your eyes right now, like two blinks. Now imagine, just imagine, if some president somewhere in the some near future says, all college loans are forgiven. Or just imagine a benefactor comes into this gathering right now. Let's say her name is Oprah. And she says, your debts are forgiven, your debts are forgiven, your debts are forgiven. Which is what I do every Sunday of what Jesus has done for us. Your debts are forgiven, your debts are forgiven, your debts are forgiven. But imagine that's applied to your college debt. Huge weight lifted off your shoulders. You'd be elated. It'd be a cause for celebration. And so you round up all your friends. You round up your crew that you run around with, and you go celebrate over dinner. And you party to the nines. And when the bill comes, one of your friends who you bought coffee for last week says, do you mind getting my check? And you go and mock them in front of others. You shame them in front of others. Because they cannot afford to pay this bill. What you're doing is making a mockery of the one who paid off your college debt, which was much. When you can't even extend grace to a meal that might cost a couple bucks. This is like the parable in Matthew 18. Where you have this wicked servant who had been forgiven much by his master, but refused to forgive his underling. He had been forgiven much, but chose not to show forgiveness. Jesus says this. He says, you wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. And Jesus says, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. See, to the extent that you realize you need forgiveness from God, is how much forgiveness you will extend to others. And I'll go so far to say, because Jesus goes as far to say, is that if you are withholding forgiveness to others, chances are you haven't experienced the Father in heaven's forgiveness. And here's the reason why I, why I think we have such trouble forgiving others. 
It's because we do not pray the word order of this prayer. We do not pray the order of this prayer. Notice this prayer didn't start with, as we forgive others, so also forgive us. Where did it start, church? Our debts. Our sin. Our wrongs. I'm confident before we are able to forgive others, we must be able to see our own need for forgiveness. How am I confident of this? It's because Rob Main, me, I still struggle with this every week of my life. This last week, I'm sitting there praying to God, help me to forgive someone who has wronged me, who's spoken ill against me. Would you help me to forgive? Help me to forgive. Help me to forgive. And I couldn't. Why? Because my finger was pointed at them as the problem. Them who are the only one who had the wrong in the situation. I forgot the first half of this prayer. And I seethed with bitterness. Seethed with contempt because I did not recognize my own need for forgiveness. Do you hear me, church? See what happens when we do not go to the Father in need for our debts first? We will either become two things, self-righteous or sinners. We'll view ourselves as self-righteous or sinners. And when we view ourselves that way, that's the identity that we'll only view others with. That they're primarily, their identity is primarily based on what they do or what they don't do for us. But when we see our identity as forgiven not a failure. That's when we were able to extend forgiveness to others because his forgiveness is greater than all of our failures. Are we meant to recognize our own failures? Yes, but his, his forgiveness is much greater than our failures. See, what happens is this, this cyclical cycle is that when we lose sight of our daily need for forgiveness, we begin not being willing to forgive others. And when we quit forgiving others, we begin to keep a record of their offenses against us. And as we keep a record of those daily wrongs, we keep rehearsing how much we are affected by those wrongs, how much it has hurt us. And as we carry this awareness, we become impatient, intolerant, and unloving. And so we end up dealing with this disappointment and sin the same way our culture does. We distance ourselves from those people. We cancel them because of one wrong against us. And then we go and find another network of people who are just like us, act like us, talk like us, until they cease to be just like us, talk like us, and act like us because we can't forgive them. We keep going from group to group, church to church, because we cannot offer forgiveness until we finally wake up to the reality that there is one common denominator in all those networks. Me. Because we failed to recognize our own need for forgiveness first so that we could forgive others. See, I'm, I'm confident that the reason we are unable to forgive others, and we get to talk about this way more in depth in two weeks, 
Because there's another passage on forgiveness in two weeks from now. Here's the reason why we're unable to forgive. It's because you see other people's sins against you greater than your sin against God. You see other people's sins against you greater than our own sin against God. And what does that do? It puts us in the place of God. And spoiler alert, I make a terrible God. You make a terrible God. Because we are inherently unjust. We think we would do eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but in all reality, we want people to hurt worse than they hurt us. We want people to experience more pain than they've caused us to experience. We become vengeful. When vengeance only belongs to one, the Lord. But those who have a forgiving posture towards others, they see their debt towards God as far greater than someone else's debt towards themselves. They see their wrongs towards their perfect and holy creator as far greater than someone's tiny sin against them. And how does God respond to our great sinful nature? It's with a grace that is greater than all of our sins. That when we have trouble forgetting the sin that has committed against us, we fight We fight to remember other people's sins no more because isn't that what Christ has done for us? That as far as the east is from the west, God remembers our sins no more. I remember this story that I read about in this book called The Ragamuffin Gospel by Brennan Manning. He he tells this story of this elderly woman who regularly tells her pastor that she has conversations with Jesus in the living room. And so he just smiles and nods and kind of puts up with this maybe hallucination she's having. But over time, this woman's stories got more specific and more intense. And so this pastor says to the woman, hey, listen, next time you're sitting with Jesus face-to-face in the living room, I want you, I want you to ask him, what was the last sin that my pastor committed? And so a week has passed by. She's sitting in the back corner of the room. The Sunday gathered service ends, and the pastor goes to the back to greet all the people, and she remains seated until the whole line is gone. And he comes and greets her, and he says, Well, what did Jesus say? What was the last sin that I committed? And this elderly woman took him by the hand looked at him with joy-filled tears. And she said to him, he told me he doesn't remember. He doesn't remember. Do you know that the God who knows all things, he chooses not to remember your sins anymore. He doesn't remember them. Why? Because they've been forgiven. And he doesn't do this because we've been great at forgiving others. 
No, he forgives us because we even need forgiveness for our failure to forgive others. Amen? And he forgives us so that we have the power to forgive. You see, what does it take to forgive a debt? What does it take for someone to forgive a debt? Somebody has to pay for it. It's going to cost somebody. Somebody has to pay off the debt. It's either going to be the person who has wronged you, and you're either going to make them pay for it by working their way up to your good graces, or you turn them over to the courts, and you kill the relationship. But for the Christian, there's a third way. You incur the debt on yourself. You absorb the pain they caused you. You absorb the wrong. You absorb everything by taking on the hurt and you say, I'm going to forgive you, which means I'm going to love you just as if you have never sinned against me. See, no one can just forgive. No one can say, oh, of course I forgive you. For when you forgive, your heart has to be full of compassion, full of mercy, full of grace, full of steadfast love, so you can absorb what they have done for you. You can say, I'm going to bear the load, and I'm promising not to enact revenge against you. I'm going to bear the load, and I'm going to forgive you, which means I'm not going to make you pay for what you have done to me. You see, peacemaking, forgiveness, it is costly. And this is what Jesus has done for you and me on the cross. He has taken our identity as sinners. He's taken our identity as people who are unforgiving people, and he's bore them on the cross. And just as we have incurred our first father, Adam's sin, by grace through faith, we now get to inherit. We now get Christ's righteousness credited to us. Because he has went to the cross and paid our debt. What is the wages of sin? Death. Jesus has paid for it. It's sacrifice. It's suffering. It's what we deserve. And he absorbs that cost all on himself. See, forgiveness is free to us at the costly expense of Jesus' life. And what does it cost us? Faith. Faith, faith that when we confess, he is faithful to forgive us. Faith that when we confess sins of omission and commission, he is faithful to forgive. Faith that there is no sin too big. There is no sin too big that you have walked in here at this morning that God is not able to forgive you from because where your sin runs deep, God's grace runs deeper still. Where your sins are many, church, his mercy is more. When we believe in this type of forgiveness, we become a church. We become a community who recognizes that we don't deserve to be forgiven, and yet he does. That's why I'm able to forgive others who don't deserve to be forgiven because I have been forgiven first. When we believe that God has forgiven us, when we pray, Father, forgive us of our debts, we'll recognize that our sin is greater, that we are the chief sinner in the room. Even as people sin against us, we're able to forgive them. 
And when we know we're forgiven like this, church, we don't forgive with conditions. We don't forgive. Yeah, I'll forgive you if you shape up. I'll forgive you if you pay me back. No, it's forgiveness without conditions. It's forgiveness that none of us deserve. But the Father forgave us because of what Jesus has done. He got what we deserve. Death credited to him. So that we get what he deserves. Righteousness credited to us. Oh, let us be a church that when we confess our sins to one another, the first words out of our mouth are not shape up or ship out. It's grace. It's forgiveness. Because we know we are a forgiven people who now forgive people. Amen? We need this reminder every week.